Hello, good morning again. We come now to the month of December, and we'll be touching on a few Christmas uh, series, song, I mean, uh, sermons. And we have chosen the original Christmas carols because there are a number of songs recorded for us in the Christmas stories. And today I will begin with Mary's song, and then next week will be Zechariah's song, and then the third song will be the angel song, and finally, on Christmas Day, uh, we'll be touching on Simeon's song. Mary's song, which is often called the Magnificat, uh, it is Mary's outpouring of love and obedience to her God. And the Magnificat comes from the first word in Latin, called magnifies, my soul magnifies the Lord. And then Zechariah's uh, traditionally has been known as the Benedictus, which is also taken from the Latin words, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, which is the first uh, line, first sentence of his, his songs. And on Christmas Day, we'll be looking at Simeon's song, and traditionally in Latin, it is known as Non Dimittis, which of course, uh, Simeon said, Now I can go in peace, knowing that I have seen your promises come true. So this morning, I'm going to touch on Mary's song, which is known as the Magnificat, Magnify, or it is also known as the glorification of what God has done. And this morning's sermon is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. I'll be reading this text a bit later, but I thought I should just let you gather your Bible and turn to this passage, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, all the way down to verse 55, Mary's song. And this morning's sermon is also, I have a very long introduction, but a very short sermon. So don't panic if, uh, if I haven't come to reading the text, that, uh, but it's a, it's a long introduction, but a short sermon. And in preparation for this sermon, I read several commentaries on the Bible passage. And the word that keeps coming out is the word revolutionary to describe Mary's song, the Magnificat, revolutionary. Uh, Stanley Jones, a famous preacher uh, many generations ago, said that the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. And then another person said, the Magnificat announces powerful revolutionary principles. And then another theologian talks about revolutionary jam found in the Magnificat. And William Barclay, a more uh, closer commentator, English theologian, says that the Magnificat is a bombshell. And he goes on to say that people have read it so often that they have forgotten its revolutionary terror. It takes the standard of the world and turns them completely upside down. And Barclay teaches that in the Magnificat, there are three revolutions, an economic revolution, a political revolution, and a moral revolution. Martin Luther says the Magnificat comforts the lowly, but it terrifies the rich. And we, if you grew up in church, we have, uh, you're maybe very familiar with the Christmas story and also Mary's song. But 
at the same time, I think when something is so familiar, we can miss it as well. So uh, let me give you some think about this song at the start. The Magnificat has been part of the church liturgy since its earliest days, many, many years ago. And for centuries, members of religious orders have recited or sung these words on a daily basis. And in Anglican tradition, some high Anglican tradition, they have this evening song that they often sing about the Magnificat. And it is also the first Christmas carol ever composed. And uh, part of, uh, in fact, quite, if you really take uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's prayer, and put it side by side, when you read Hannah's prayer and Mary's song, you see a lot of similarities between that two. It's a, yeah, it, it, it's, and, and it's also said that while Mary is pregnant with Jesus, she's also pregnant with a lot of scriptures in her mind. Because as you read through this song, you will see that Mary is well, in, well versed with the Old Testament story and scriptures. And so a simple song of about 10 verses, he, she quoted many, many Bible verses. She is well versed, well immersed into scripture. I'll give you some example. In her praise to God, she alludes to verses in Psalms 103, Psalms 22, Psalms 44, Psalms 89, Psalms 98, Psalms 147, Psalms 25. She's also echoing Job chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 22, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 17, and Micah chapter 7. It is loaded with scriptures from all over the Old Testament. And Mary's uh, songs flows from her heart. Her words are her spontaneous response, as we just seen the clip just now, of uh, how the angels appeared to Mary. And Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and while there, Elizabeth pronounced her as blessed. The expectant mother uh, by Elizabeth, which is the, the mother of of course, the expectant mother of John the Baptist. And so that is the con in the immediate context of how Mary brings forth this song. But, but we would be wise to also keep in mind the larger context so that when we read these words afterwards, it will become clearer and, and, and it's more powerful. The larger context in which Mary spoke these words. You must understand that Mary was about, we can't be very certain about her age. Uh, she's as young as 13 years old, maybe 13 to 16 years old, somewhere between there. Uh, so she's not like in her 30s or 25. She's very young. And it was when, when she received that revelation, that vision, that communication from the angel, and the conclusion of that, Mary's in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 38, this is what he, she said after she expressed her doubt and that she's a virgin and the Holy Spirit, the angel confirmed to her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
and uh, for nothing is impossible with God. And this was her response in verse 38, chapter 1. She said, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May it be to me as you have said. You must understand that Mary was young, and when she received this message, she was in a point where she, there's a lot of great uncertainty in front of her because she almost immediately receiving this message faced a rather bleak future in that sense, physically at least, uh, when an unwed teenage peasant girl was found pregnant. And then what are you supposed to say? God spoke to me and, and, and suddenly I'm pregnant. Who, who is going to believe her? And, and under those circumstances, if no one believed her, is usually resulted in devastating retribution from the community of the time. And we have also know from Matthew Gospel accounts that inform us that Joseph, the man Mary, was betrothed to Mary, was planning to quietly call off the wedding. And his discreetness of quietly call off the wedding was his attempt to protect Mary from public humiliation, and social ostracism. And according to Jewish law, Mary faced the very real threat of being stoned as an adulteress. So you must understand, in the larger context, that was at least what Mary has to contemplate uh, going forward. And therefore, in, uh, in the author, a lady by the name of Caroline Sharp, she said this, she said, don't envision Mary as the radiant woman peacefully composing the Magnificat. Instead, you must see her as a girl who sings defiantly to her God through her tears, feast clenched against an unknown future. When we do this, when we are able to see from that anger, she goes on and say, Then Mary's courageous song of praise will become a radical resource for those seeking to honour God amid the suffering and conflicts of real life. So you see from that context of Mary actually facing an uncertainty that's ahead of her, and when she sang from that song, you can feel that this person is really honouring God in the midst of suffering on conflicts of the real life. So it's not just someone sitting, composed, sitting down, you know, looking at a beautiful nature, environment, and just pen some beautiful words. It is right in, the, in a situation where she's experiencing uncertainty, she's experiencing struggle, she's, she's wondering what is going to be ahead of her, and that kind of context that when you read this song, it will powerfully come across someone as young as Mary who able to honour God in the midst of all this kind of uncertainty. I don't know about you, sometimes when I read the scripture, we, cannot, we kind of don't feel the context too much. Just like when someone shares something with you, you, you can't exactly understand the kind of struggle the person maybe contemplating emotionally going through or someone with, with cancer or facing death and all that, we, we, we don't quite able to bring ourselves to where they are coming from. So as best as possible when we read this uh, song, 
we must understand on the larger context that at least that's what Mary was experiencing. And the, the words in this song, it is so revolutionary, uh, you may not be aware where, but frequently throughout history, people on the margins have often identified with this powerful poem and been inspired to believe that God can actually bring liberation to their plight. And that is where this liberation theology that you're familiar with developed in the Latin America in the 60s uh, came about. Uh, people on the margins have identified with this powerful poem and uh, emphasizing the liberation of the oppressed. And in, and in certain contexts, it, en it engages socio-economic analysis with social concern for the poor and political liberation for oppressed people. And in other contexts, it, it, it uses this text as a powerful way to address uh, inequality such as race or caste for that matter. And because of that, so powerful are uh, Mary's words that at least three countries in the 20th, 20th century banned the public recitation of Mary's song, the Magnificat. In India, for example, uh, British actually forbade churches in India for singing the hymn out of fear that it would incite revolution. And in the 1980s, the Guatemalan government banned the words again uh, from the public square, fearful that it would stir the poor into believing change was possible. And then, of course, uh, the Argentinian uh, military um, during the dirty war, the rulers quickly had the poster where these people bring, bring up this kind of verses when the missing mothers posted all these Mary's words and the Argentinian rulers quickly had the poster removed and once again banned people from singing and saying Mary's words, because it is, the words are so powerful that the rich and the powerful are so concerned that it might stir up revolution among the, those who are oppressed to kind of uh, topple them. And the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer recognized the revolutionary nature of Mary's song and before being executed by the Nazis, in 1933, he spoke these words in a sermon during Christmas time in 1933. This is what he said. He said, The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn, hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. And so normally, when we read or listen to Mary's Magnificat, the song, uh, even as a pastor, we are tempted to soften its message and just spiritualize its meaning. 
But I'd like to read it through, and, and I'd like to read Mary's song afresh, as if for the first time. And as we do, let's be asking why so many have understood Mary's message to be subversive and revolutionary. But beyond considering other people's interpretation, let's be attempting to discover what Mary meant by her words. What sort of things did Mary expect God to do through His anointed one that's going to come through Mary? What God is expecting this Messiah to be like? And what is He going to do? What did Mary expect the long-awaited Messiah to be like? Remember, Mary is immersed into the Jewish histories and all that, and they know the story of waiting for the Messiah to arrive for thousands and thousands of years. And, and Mary bursts into song, expecting what this Messiah is going to be like. What did she see as the Messiah's mission on earth? What sort of things did Mary anticipate he would accomplish? So if you have your Bible, please turn with me now to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read this passage, why I say this passage is so uh, revolutionary in its nature. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's where the word magnificate comes from. Magnifies. I love the word magnifies. It's like, it's like magnifying glass. You only magnify the things. She wants to magnify the Lord. And she said, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Remember Mary acknowledging that she's a sinner because she said, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My Savior. So it is not this uh, uh, belief about uh, Mary is sinless, immaculate kind of uh, uh, conception, and therefore she's sinless um, in that sense. Say, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercies extend to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Now, this is the gist of the revolutionary message now. He said, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. This is what Mary's song tells us about what to expect this Messiah to be at that time, of course. Now we have eyes out looking back what Jesus has done in the last 2,000 over years. He said the Messiah that Mary anticipated is referred to as the Mighty One who does what? Who topples rulers, who scatters the proud, and He sends the rich away empty-handed. However, he's, He also is mindful of the lowly, exalts the humble, fills the hungry with good things, and He helps His servant Israel. 
In other words, if you really look at this, it's really counter to what we know about this world. Mary anticipates that the Messiah will bring about what they call wondrous reversals in the world. Wondrous reversal in the world. Mary envisions God's anointed one, Jesus, upsetting the status quo by turning virtually everything upside down. He is one who inverts human structures and values. After all, God chose for him to be born of a lowly servant girl, as mentioned here in the song, instead of a woman of prominence in the royal stock. But God chose Mary, a peasant woman. He's signaling something that is coming. And soon after reciting her now famous Magnificat, the song, soon after that, the Romans required Mary to walk approximately about 115 kilometers while pregnant with a full-term baby to the small rural town of Bethlehem. And at that time, Bethlehem is a really a small place, a small town, small, probably only 200 to 300 inhabitants. And soon after arriving in Bethlehem, Mary began to experience the pains of labor, maybe while walking, I don't know. There in this insignificant rural village in Bethlehem, Mary would be homeless while giving birth to her first child. That much you are probably already familiar with. But I think here is something that you might not have heard before. Where she was born, southeast from where she was born, about five kilometers from where she, uh, Jesus was born, Jesus lay in a stable feeding trough. Mary would see from where she was, able to see Herod the Great, majestic, palatial resort, which was known as the Herodium. Why I say from anywhere in Bethlehem, you just need to lift up your head, you can see in the skylight this magnificent Herodian that Herod the Great has built. Herodian, why I said you're able to see, because Herodian sits actually atop a man-made mountain, nearly 2,500 feet high. And at the time, it was the largest palatial complex in the Roman world. So as you look up from Bethlehem, the lights shining down from Herod's resort dominated the skyline. And Mary, so picture this with me, okay, if you will. There sits Mary, attempting to recover from the long trip to Bethlehem and the stressful conditions in which she gave birth to Jesus. We don't know how long was the labor. As she stared up at the sky, night sky, and undoubtedly 
was able to see Herod's hereditary luxurious resort. What thoughts do you think it entered her mind? I mean, obviously, she would have been thinking about her newborn son. That much is a given. But as she did, I'm just wondering whether she pondered the irony of the situation she found herself in. Because Mary knew her son was the only person deserving the title King of the Jews. Yet the reality is the Romans had appointed Herod to be the King of the Jews. While the true king lay helpless beside her, the imposter king lauded his might over them. I mean, quite literally. And let us not forget that soon after the Messiah's birth, Mary and Joseph were forced to flee with Jesus and become refugees in Egypt, while Herod ordered half of Jesus' playmates in Bethlehem to be killed. And given these circumstances, I think it is easy to envision Mary praying for God to bring vengeance upon Herod and the entire political establishment that he represented. So you know where the Magnificat is coming from then? And I wonder if on that first Christmas night, Mary found herself praying once again, like she had months before, nine months before, in her Magnificat for God to topple rulers like Herod from their thrones of power and domination. And I don't know about you, as you read through this song, it is certainly a good news to those on the outer, but it is a bad news to those in power and the privilege. It calls us to live a different way, to change allegiance and to be part of God's kingdom. And one the author says this. She said, The Magnificat is a revolutionary song of salvation whose political, economic, and social dimensions cannot be blunted. People in need in every society hear a blessing in this song. The battered woman, the single parent without resources, those without food on the table or without even the table, the homeless family, the young abandoned to their own devices, the old who are discarded, all of them are encompassed in the hope that Mary proclaims. Powerful words, isn't it? Look at it again in verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So as you recount back, looking back of what the forefathers Abraham has received the news, down to Isaac, down to Jacob, down to Joseph, down to all the children, down to the kingdom era, 
where King David becomes the king to the prophets down through the ages. They've been looking forward to this moment or the Messiah to come to topple and completely transform the entire world. And isn't this what it says in the Beatitudes that we have covered at the start of the year? That is completely reversal of the eight Beatitudes that we have just been through. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I mean, who would have thought that the meek would actually inherit the earth? Blessed are those who hunger, those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, Jesus said, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So my friend, the, invita the invitation today, like Mary and later on through Jesus, is to see this unexpected beauty in the lives of those on the margins. Not like our church, middle class, beautiful church and all that. But as we read these psalms of what is all about and understanding on the larger context of what Mary's worldview is like at that time, ruled by the Roman Empire, poor peasant girl and all that, under oppression. So the invitation today, as I mentioned, like Mary and later on through Jesus, to see the unexpected beauty in the lives of those on the margins. For it is there that we truly experience the hope of the God who came down to earth, put on skin, and lived as one of us. For we are again reminded ag again and again through this song, Mary's song, the Magnificat, that Jesus came to comfort the disturbed, but He's also here to disturb the comfortable. And so for us, who are not on the outer fringe in that sense, we have to be very mindful, very mindful and very conscious of the gospel is for everyone, is for the poor, for the weak, for those who don't have a voice. To, uh, and this gospel is for those people and not just for the middle class suburb of where we live. Lord. And we have to be mindful of that and learn to live in such a way that honors God, manage our resources wisely that God has blessed us with, and to contribute into investing into eternity and into his his economy, God's economy. So this is the first song. I want to uh uh 
that was, that was what happened. And as we look back of what it has contributed over the last 2,000, it is just enormous. It is just enormous that what, how Christianity has changed the world when Jesus came on the scene. Um, he has transformation of people, the values of human life completely changed, charity, compassion, hospital, healthcare, education, you name it. Liberty, justice, labor, economic freedom, science, art, architecture, literature, music, holiday, words, symbols, and expression completely change. Look back to a lot of institutions, all was started by the gospel because of Jesus. Hospital first originated in the fourth century under Christian influence. Institutions for the blind, for the deaf, for the mentally ill are. Some other institutions started by believers, Christians. The Red Cross, Salvation Army, St. Vincent de Paul, you name it. The profession, the profession of nursing is another one that it has contributed to the entire world. I want to f- conclude this sermon with uh, this reading that I've read before, but I think it's appropriate for this passage as I preach to conclude it with these words by Malcolm Margaret, the English uh, journalist. Um, this is what he said in the conclusion in one of his books. He said, we look back on history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling. Revolutions and counter-revolutions. Wealth accumulating and wealth dispersed. One nation dominant and then another. Shakespeare speaks of the rise and fall of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. And then Margaret says this. He said, in my one lifetime, I have seen my own fellow countrymen ruling over a quarter of the world. The great majority of them convinced in the words of what is still a favorite song, that God who's made the mighty would make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed, cracked Austrian proclaim to the world the establishment of a German Reich that would last a thousand years. I've heard an Italian clown, I suppose it's Mussolini, announce that he would restart the calendar to begin his own assumption of power. I've heard a murderous Georgian Bringen in the Kremlin, Joseph Stalin, Acclaimed by the intellectual elite of the world as a wiser than Solomon, more enlightened than Ashoka, more humane than Marcus Aurelius. I have seen America wealthier in terms of weaponry, more powerful than the rest of the world put together. So the Americans, had they so wished, could have outdone an Alexander or a Julius Caesar in the range scale of their conquests. And he said, but all in my one little lifetime, all gone with the wind. And behind the debris of our self-style sullen superman, there stands the gigantic figure of one person. And because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom alone, mankind might still have hope, the person of Jesus Christ. And that is His coming. That is Christmas season about His coming 
that how he has influenced the world and we look forward to his return again in the future. We're going to sing and conclude uh, this morning's service with these beautiful carols, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. And that was what they were expecting. And through Mary, it has been crystallized that the baby finally comes. And now, at 2,000 years later, we are now looking forward singing the song again that looking forward to Christ's second return. So before we sing that song, kids, remember, please lock on after the service because we are going to rehearse the song um, which is supposed to be here, but it is not here, so you have to rehearse through Zoom. Please remember to lock on that. So let us now uh, uh, join me in the word of prayer, then I'll get you to sing this beautiful hymn. Heavenly Father, as our hearts ponder the miracle of God becoming man to save humanity from sin, move us, Lord, to magnify you, to praise you, to honour you, and to make great your name. Thank you that your amazing love chose us, just like you have chosen a Mary, as she burst out in song, wondering, what have I done? Why did you choose me, Lord? Your amazing love chose us, redeemed us, made us your own. Help us, Lord, this season to remember, to share the story of your undeserved, unexpected an amazing grace. And reminded of this beautiful song are for the marginalized. The gospel is for the marginalized as well. The poor, the widow, those who are struggling. May we, as we enjoy this Christmas season, help us to pray, help us to remember, to be show goodwill to those whom we know that are struggling. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bid thou our sad divine. 